You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Good evening, it's great to be back with you this evening back here at St. Peter's Church. And I have a question for us this evening. As we return to normality after Christmas, New Year, as we look ahead to the rest of the year, the question for us this evening and for the rest of the year is this. Will you follow Jesus? Now, as Christians, we often think this is something we ask non-Christians, people who don't trust in Jesus. But in tonight's text, we'll see this question is, in fact, to those who do trust in him. Will you follow Jesus? For those here who aren't Christians, I'm really glad you are here to come and hear about who Jesus is, come and find out what church is about. But as we go through tonight's text, see what you make of following Jesus. See, for all of us here, this simply isn't a given following him. Being a Christian isn't primarily about going to church, having an experience in the past. Being a Christian is about following Jesus. Following Jesus means picking up your cross, not once but daily, and following the one who had no home. This simply is not a decision we take lightly. Our text this evening is in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, Well, we'll be looking at what it looks like to follow Jesus. But before we look at this, let me pray for us this evening. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we stand here on the threshold of your word, help us to not take it lightly this evening. May you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your words. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and holy in your name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Before we get stuck into uh, of verses this evening. Let me just fill you in where we're up to in Luke's gospel. So far in the first nine chapters or so, uh, Luke's been introducing the readers to the person of Jesus. And hopefully by chapter nine, uh, everyone should have grasped who he is, culminating in Peter's confession in verse 20 that Jesus is the Christ, then following that, the transfiguration. In the first nine chapters, Luke is showing us that Jesus is God's son. He is the chosen one. But in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, we start a new section of the gospel. Just look down at verse 51 with me and it says this. As the time approached for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. See, from that point on, Jesus is setting his journey out to Jerusalem, his journey to the cross, something which takes us all the way to chapter 19. And through that, Luke reminds us again and again of this journey that we are there to follow Jesus. It's a really, really big thing. Let me show you, you don't need to look up these verses, but just so we see how big a thing this is. Luke 9, 53, because he was heading for Jerusalem. Over the page 1038, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Later in 13, verse 22, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Verses 33 and 34, chapter 13, we see again Jesus' desire to get to Jerusalem. 
17 verse 11, not on his way to Jerusalem. 1831, we are going to Jerusalem. 1911, because he was near Jerusalem. 1928, going up to Jerusalem. 1941, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. Luke makes a big deal out of this, that Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem. He's determined to get there. He set his face to, to Jerusalem to go through opposition, to go and to die on the cross. But the reason Luke writes like this is to ask us a question. Will you follow Jesus? Look with me at verses 57 and 62 of chapter 9. Let me read that for us. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For the past six years or so, as some of you know, I've coached women's rugby at universities here when I was a student and through in Edinburgh currently. And at the start of every year, there's usually this thing called a sports fair, where in one of the sports halls, uh, the teams all get a table each and they try to make it look like their sport is the most fun. They try to coax people in to joining their club. Possible recruits are told how great a laugh it is. They're showing the kits that teams wore and they're showing the equipment which is used. They're showing photos from tours abroad. They're told of the triumphs and the silverware is displayed. They're told when training is and where to sign up. But the thing which they aren't often told about the early morning gym sessions, the sprint sessions up the law, the hours and hours and hours of hard graft that is expected. New recruits are painted a rosy picture and the decision to join up is simple because, well, it all just seems so easy. Jesus couldn't possibly be any more different to that. He doesn't want people to join a club. He wants people to follow him. And here in these verses, he doesn't paint a rosy picture for us. He almost seems to discourage us from following him. There's three conversations here in the text. And these are three things about what it means to follow Jesus. First off, Jesus' way is hard in verse 57 to 58. Secondly, Jesus' way is urgent in verse 59 to 60. And thirdly, Jesus' way is all-consuming in verses 61 to 62. Jesus' way is hard. Let's remember that as we read this, we know where he's heading. The readers of Luke all know where Jesus is heading to, but the disciples don't. They haven't quite got it yet. And this guy in verse 57, well, he doesn't know where Jesus is heading, is heading either. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, and he's determined to go to the cross, determined to go and to die on the cross to bear the wrath of God that we deserve, and nothing is going to stop him in this. And yet... This guy in verse 57, he says that you'll follow Jesus wherever he goes. And this guy is keen. He's ready to sign the dotted line, but really he has no idea what he's getting himself into. But Jesus coolly and calmly responds to this man. Foxes have holes 
and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This guy has basically walked up to Jesus and said, I will follow you where you go. I will go wherever that is. And Jesus says back to this guy, if you want to follow me, I, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. If you want to follow me, I don't know what or where I'll be eating. If you want to follow me, that's great. But count the cost, because the journey is rough. If you want to follow Jesus, it may mean giving up the things that make life comfortable for you. Not because they're bad, but because they made them more important than following Jesus. And he must come before those things. I mean, imagine if someone comes to you and they specifically have asked you to come be part of a church plant somewhere else in the city, but it would mean moving house. In terms of the property ladder and your current social circles, it would simply be social suicide. But Jesus is saying in the text, get real. Are you going to follow me or not? Or imagine a promotion comes up at work, but mean that you can no longer serve at church, it mean that you can no longer fulfill your role as elder or as deacon. Which one will you choose? Jesus says, get real. If you want to follow me, be serious about it. Are you a student? So you're in a city like Dundee, you're able people. Some of you can be gifted for ministry and you've got the chance to pursue that. Spend a year or two to see if that's right for you. You know, spent a lot of money to go to university. Your parents expect you to go into your respective di- uh, discipline. Yet, you don't really know how secure your job will even be in 10 years' time. What's one or two years seeing if you are gifted for ministry? Jesus saying, get real. Are you going to follow me or not? I mean, you may see a Christian giving up a good lifestyle for the sake of following Jesus, moving to a scheme to help plant a church, give up being, tr- being a doctor to train for ministry. And the world thinks it's crazy, and we might think, well done, that's great. But I could never do that. And we often forget that that was a hard decision for them to make too. But that's following Jesus. And Jesus was a, rad- a very radical person. And he's saying to us here in the text, if you want to follow me, then follow me. And don't mess around. There's been no man who's ever walked this earth that's had a greater impact on it than Jesus. And he owned no home, he had no pension, and he had no rewards bank account. I mean, don't get me wrong though, comfort is not bad in and of itself. Same with possessions and security, but comfort before Jesus Possessions before Jesus, security before Jesus, that's the problem. I mean, this, this is really hard for us. We like those things. It's even harder to tell other people this, though, isn't it? When we just want someone we know to love Jesus for who he is, we can just slightly twist the truth. Of course, there are extreme examples of that. People promising health and wealth. Are you real? Come follow Jesus and he can cure you of that. But actually, it's not just the extreme examples. We sometimes think we have, to, we have to do marketing for Jesus. We think we're businessmen for him. We overemphasize the positives. For example, a lot of Christians might say, if you come to Jesus, he'll make sense of life. Well, in many ways, he will. A lot of people do find that. But there is still a great deal of complexity in life, as we ourselves know and as we read the Psalms. Or perhaps some of us might say, come to Jesus and you'll never be lonely. Well, of course, that is true, but it mustn't be too simple. We're trying to be spin doctors for the gospel. What we find here in Luke 
is that Jesus is alarmingly honest. He simply was not afraid. He was secure enough in the sovereignty of God in all things, including salvation, that he could be alarmingly honest with people. And he didn't try to fool about about what it would mean to follow him. Jesus' way is hard. So count the cost and don't undertake it lightly. Jesus' way is hard. His way was also urgent. Look at verse 59 to 60. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And what's going on here? It's all a bit strange, really, isn't it? Why can't this man go and bury his father? Well, burying a parent who died was an important duty. And Jesus clearly upholds this. He clearly upholds honouring our parents. So Jesus doesn't call this guy to abandon his family. And I don't really think the father is dead yet, or the father's even dying. Perhaps he's just old. I mean, at the time, as parents got older, the children were there to look after them. As the parent was dying, the child had to be there for them. And then when the parent had died, the funeral was a huge affair which the whole village was invited to. So if the father was dying, the son would be there with him. If the father was dead, the son would be at the funeral. Jesus' point here is that following him must take priority and proclaiming his kingdom is something which he should not delay in doing. Jesus says, follow me. This guy says, Lord, first let me do something else. Something else which might even take years to do. And this guy is simply sitting around wasting his life when a call to follow Jesus is on offer. And following Jesus must take precedence even over the highest duties of normal life. Which doesn't mean that we don't care for our family. Rather, when we care for our family, it's out of obedience to Jesus, not instead of obedience to Jesus. What exactly is going on in verse 60? Let me read it again for us. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I think when Jesus says here, let the dead bury their own dead, he means this in two ways, as in the physically dead and the spiritually dead. Let the spiritually dead, that is the unbelievers, let them bury the physically dead. I mean, spiritually dead can do that themselves. They don't really need anyone else to help them with that. They can do that because there's simply nothing you can do for a dead person. There's no second chance of salvation. Instead, you, you spiritually alive person, you who trusts and follows me, you go and help the living. Don't waste more time. Proclaim the king who has come, the king who gave his life so that we may have eternal life, the king who saved us and the king who rules over us. Proclaim this to a dying people, this kingdom of God, this gospel. Jesus' way is urgent. Yet our urgency is so often blunted. I say this to myself probably more than any of us. And what is it that blunts our urgency in doing this? Well, there's lots of little things, really, isn't there? Just wee things, things that can blunt our urgency. We flitter our time away on Facebook or Netflix, or if you're like me, BBC News. There's lots of little things that can distract us, that cause us to lose our urgency. Things which aren't really bad or that serious, yet they do distract us. There's also bigger things in life as well, big things which quench the urgency to follow Jesus. Now, as I get older, I'm still 24, I'm not that old, but as I get older, you know, I want to follow Jesus, but more and more I find myself doing it from a secure base, from a comfortable base. 
As my wife, Amy, and I look ahead to coming back to Dundee later this year, I think about mortgages and pensions. I invest my time in those sorts of things. The fear of not having enough money, the fear of not being controlled of my circumstances, blunt my urgency to follow Jesus. We're tempted to think, once I'm comfortable, then I'll follow Jesus. We're tempted to think it's comfort, then the cross. And that simply is not the way Jesus shows us. His way is urgent. He is far more radical. I mean, the simple truth is that people are dying every day. People who need to know the gospel. I mean, if you follow Jesus, you've been given a job to do. And that job is urgent. And the job is this. Go and proclaim the gospel. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus saying to this guy here in his verses, stop wasting time. Don't put me second. Go tell people about me. Go and join a gospel-centered church that does evangelism. Go be part of a fellowship group that does mission. Go be involved in the Christian union. Go read the Bible with your friends, with your colleagues, with your neighbors. Go plant a church. Don't waste your time. Go help all those who are alive and therefore still have a chance to be saved. Go help them by telling them the gospel. Stop wasting your time. If you want to follow Jesus, his way is urgent. Something which I forget is that his way is urgent every day. So don't delay. Jesus' way is urgent. Sorry, Jesus' way is hard, so don't undertake it lightly. Jesus' way is urgent, so don't delay. And finally, Jesus' way is all-consuming. Read with me again verses 61 and 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, did you recognise anything in response there? Anything similar? I will follow you, Lord, but first. First let me do that thing which is more important than following you. Yet when we go on through the rest of verse realize his response actually, well, it's pretty reasonable, isn't it? To go back and say goodbye to his family. What warrants Jesus' response? Well, it's because his man has divided loyalty. I mentioned briefly that we care for our families out of obedience to Jesus, not instead of obedience to Jesus. Yet he would say, he would say this guy is saying, my loyalty is to Jesus and my family. My affection is to Jesus and my family. I mean, does that mean that it's bad to be loyal to our families or have affection towards them? Should Christians be cold towards the embrace of a relative we hold dear? Well, no, of course not. Because of our love for Jesus, because of our affection and our loyalty to Jesus, it causes us to love our families more, to serve them more, to be loyal to them more, because ultimately we do it out of love for Jesus. Let's just dig a bit deeper here in the text. To help us understand what Jesus is saying to this guy. What's all this farming stuff about? Well, in simple farming terms, looking back whilst ploughing, well, you'd botch up the job. You'd be left with crooked furrows. But in the Bible, looking back means more than that. It's something which is very serious. I mean, one uh, better known example of this is in the Exodus, where the Jews have been rescued from Egypt, they're crossing the Red Sea, they're being led by God through the wilderness and the Jews just grumble and delusionally they look back to how much greater life was for them in Egypt but for us to look back 
means that we aren't sure that the life Jesus calls us to is really better than the life Jesus has called us from. Jesus wants us to wholeheartedly follow him, to keep following him and not long for the life we once had. It means we have both hands on the plough, fully committed, not looking back in longing. Let's not get mixed up in what I mean though here. There's nothing wrong with looking back and thinking how I did something which wasn't really that great. Something or thinking something that was really bad. I need to repent of that. I need to learn from that and move on. There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that can be quite helpful. But when Jesus talks about looking back here in verse 62, it's looking back with a longing, revising what life was really like. It's exactly what the Israelites did as they wandered the desert. Remember when we were back in Egypt and we sat around and ate pots of meat, as much meat as you wanted? But that simply didn't happen. There were slaves in a foreign land, they were oppressed and their children were slaughtered. They couldn't have any more opposite. What do we do? We, are, we might look back, think back when, when we were students, or think back when we were with our friends and all that great fun we used to have, the banter we had with them. Remember how great life was before we had children, all that time, all that money? We look back and we romanticise the past. We just don't think it's really worth following Jesus. We just think it's not as good as what it used to be like. See, Jesus' way is all-consuming. It demands both hands on the plough. It demands us to look forward at all times. Think even simply about your drive home tonight. You couldn't drive home looking over, the, over your shoulder the whole way. You'd crash, you'd run a red light, you'd hit another car. Instead, as you drive home, you stay focused on what's ahead of you and you follow the road home. And so it is as we follow Jesus. We don't live our lives looking backwards, longing to be back there. If you do, you aren't going to go forwards. Instead, we keep our eyes ahead, both hands on the plough, and we follow Jesus to the cross. In Luke's Gospel, we saw at the start how Jesus has resolutely set his face to Jerusalem where he will go and die to save us. And he is determined to get there, and he never looks back. And so we need to look forward, look ahead to the new Jerusalem, the new creation, where we shall be with Jesus in eternal life. I mean, Jesus calls us to two things here, put our hand to the plough and to look forward. Something which takes in our whole life. His way is all-consuming. He calls us to be all-in. Think of James Bond when he's playing poker and that moment when he pushes all his chips in. It's all or nothing. He's all in. That's what Jesus calls us to as we follow him. We're all in with our life, our singleness, our marriage, our money, our time, our job, our home, our entire life. Everything is to be all in for Jesus. Every day. Jesus' way is hard. Jesus' way is urgent. Jesus' way is all-consuming. Every single area of our life has got to be on the table for him to change or throw away. This isn't something we do on our own. We join, a, we join a church, we get stuck in together, we meet together, we hear God's word together, we pray together, we encourage each other. We go for coffee, we see how each other's doing, we're accountable to one another. But most of all, as we follow Jesus, he will make sure by the Holy Spirit that we do get home. See, the life of a Christian is anything but dull. In one sense, it is mundane. Yes, of course it is. We live normal lives. Yet it is excitingly urgent and real. But it also involves real cost for us. But in closing, 
what about these guys from Luke chapter 9? These guys who Jesus talked to, did they follow him? Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. It almost forces us to ask, what about myself? Will I follow Jesus? He's not been like the university sports team trying to lure us in with prospects and luxury. But instead, he's been alarmingly honest. He's called us to count the cost of following him. He's demanded loyalty, commitment, and endurance. But is Jesus worth following? Is it all worth it? It's hard, it's urgent, it's all-consuming. Is it worth it? Well, see, it is worth it. It's got to be worth it. Why else would anyone want to do this? See, more importantly, is Jesus worth it? And he definitely is. Let's think what Jesus is calling us to in terms of where he is going. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. But he's off to die for you. To bear the wrath of God that you deserve. To pay the price for you to be adopted into God's family. And that price is his life. And why is he doing this? Because he loves you. Now this is somebody worth following, whatever the cost. And as we do so, he'll never leave us. He'll be there by the Holy Spirit, encouraging us along the way. Jesus' way is hard. It's urgent. It's all-consuming. But it's worth it. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we thank you that you are indeed so alarmingly honest to us in your words. We thank you that your word is true and that even these years later, by your Holy Spirit, speaks radically into our lives and calls us to change. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. May you show us the areas in our lives where we simply are not following you, where we are not all in. By your grace, may you help us to be so. May we acknowledge what it really means to be a follower of you. Help us to repent of the times where we see following you as just another spoke on the wheel of our life. And really following you is all-encompassing, for there is simply no better life. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you indeed went to Jerusalem and you call us to follow you. That you went to that cross to die for us, that we may be brought back into right relationship with you. So that we can indeed come before our Father, the Lord God Almighty, in the throne room of heaven, and cry, Abba, Father. Help us this week to remember every day to pick up our cross and to follow you. To hear the radical call of discipleship you give us. And by your Holy Spirit, may you empower us to do it. May you give us the love of your word each morning to hear from you, to pray to you, to feed us for the day. Help us, Lord Jesus Christ, to follow you. And we long to be with you. And it's in your name we pray before our Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. 
visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.